This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Episode 51 of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, presented by Relentless Boats, and we have made it back for yet another week, Kyler. We're still here. Yes, we didn't quit yet. No, I mean, it, that's our, our mantra, is if you just don't stop, you just keep going. It's, it's, yeah. it's going to work one yep. way or the other. Yep. So, uh, we're uh, getting to the middle of October. I mean, we're, we're past the talking points about, oh, the season's here. I mean, the season is here, like, officially, so... Um, Kyler's already just killed basically half his limit. You been hunting anymore, man? No, I scouted last weekend. Um, I changed some cameras around um, and uh, did, you know, last weekend it was kind of hot again. I had um, a, my in-laws in town and some work to do at the camp. And uh, so I did not hunt, but we did move, like I said, we moved game cameras around on public land which is a perfect topic for what we're talking about today, talking about tra- uh, trail cam strategy um, with Justin Longclaw. So, um, Justin, thanks for, for coming on with us, man. Happy to have you. Hey, man. It's great to be back around you guys. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's been a while, Justin, but you're no, uh, you're no stranger to Louisiana Bowhunter or, uh, or to uh, the community. So uh, what you been up to, man? Out here most recently, uh, trying to dodge hurricanes and uh, cleaning up hunting spots for, well, in, in one case, the third time I've cleaned it this year. Uh, we got quite a bit of damage over. I'm, I'm in, uh, in Sulphur, southwest Louisiana. And, uh, you know, for, for the folks that, that don't live in this part of the state, we're majority pine plantations. And, man, those suckers, 
do not take wind well. Um, you know, we, we did a lot of cleanup after uh, Laura, and I say we, uh, me and my oldest son, Carter, and then uh, we went back, or I went back um, earlier this week and, uh, and, and cut some of the same spots again. You know, normally by this time uh, of year, it is absolutely stay out of your spots and don't go in and uh, only on the right winds. And I was in there this week running chainsaws and limb saws and dragging limbs with four wheelers. And it's, uh, it, it's been a crazy year. Yeah, I think that probably, um, at least for our Louisiana people, um, just about everybody in the state has been affected on some level. And I know uh, I, I asked Kyler leading in, you know, about hunting, and uh, I'm kind of the same as you, Justin. I've spent the majority of my time cleaning up and doing exactly what you said, kind of intruding on areas that I wouldn't normally intrude on. I'd normally have them kind of sitting quiet and waiting on the right weather patterns and, and all that sort of thing. And, and one of the things that I would normally be doing the most of right now is staying out of some of those spots and working trail cameras, which is going to be the topic today yes. justin um is a uh employee for spy point and i'm sure many of you have heard of spy point it's a popular uh trail camera brand in the outdoor market so we're going to talk a little bit about tips and techniques and before we get into that conversation i want to remind you again about scree gear um scree is still running a lot of specials and sales for you guys that are looking to gear up and if you've been looking into the performance line of clothing for uh for your whitetail gear this year check them out at screegear.com lots of good discounts on their bundle packages and uh if you haven't looked into performance gear before this stuff is all a layering system it's built upon one another so they do sell a lot of their stuff in bundle packages so that you get a lot of those pieces up front and then you can add to your system and you end up with a system that can carry you from pre-season all the way through late season and so uh you know, great customer service, VIP sizing, guarantee, lifetime warranty on their stuff. So make sure to go check them out at screegear.com. Hey, let me ask you real quick, Justin, how, how, how is your house? How are you doing over there after being, I know you've been through Delta and Laura. What was the, what was the third storm? You said you hit something else hit that kind of damaged the woods. What was that? Well, I, I had cleared it up. I had cleared some spots initially to hunt this year, and then Laura gotcha. was the second time I cleared it out, and then Delta was the third. I got <laughs> so, you. Oh, I, mis- I, I, I misunderstood I, you. I got you. No, dude, I, I can tell you, uh, the folks around here, this is the best tan and the best shape that I think we've ever been in or had uh, <laughs> because we've done nothing but work outside. Now we're destroyed by mosquitoes. You know, a thermocell is absolutely the number one thing you're going to have to take to the woods. Uh, right now, dude, they are atrocious. I mean, it's like opening day at teal season in the marsh in the woods. They're horrible. So, so I'll tell you something interesting. Uh, my uncle um, is the director of mosquito abatement for the state of Louisiana. He's an entomologist for the state, and he is the sole person that essentially fights for parishes to have funding for um, mosquito and insect control. And, um, I, you know, I've, obviously I've known my uncle my whole life and he's been doing this for 20 years and you wouldn't believe how politicized it is over funding, uh, battles to get aerial applications in Southwest Louisiana. He went over, it's almost, he said actually Southwest Louisiana right now is worse than Katrina in new orleans in 2005 and that was underwater for two weeks um but something 
something pretty incredible that I didn't know about because I talked to him earlier today. Y'all are about to get aerial applications from C-130s. Okay, yeah, like saw, the crop. Uh, Clay Higgins crop, posted that. <laughs> crop dusters aren't doing it. Like y'all's mosquitoes uh-uh. are so bad that the crop dusters can't keep up with it. And they have a special outfit out of, I think it's Illinois, that mm-hmm. does aerial application spraying by C-130. And y'all are about to get three C-130s sent down here. It, the funding We're just legitimately got about to get bombed to, <laughs> to kill <laughs> Literally. the mosquitoes. Yeah, y'all, but y'all bring, are bring it on. They are, they are horrible. I have never, I've never seen it. The only time I can even... Uh, you know, depict anything that I've seen similar is these guys doing bear hunts in Alaska in the spring where they're yeah. just all over their face. Like the other day, whenever I went and cut again, I uh, I cut, I took my shirt off and then put on my Shannon bug tamer suit and just tucked the hood down to my, in my, uh, like the top of the zipper and just had to go. I mean, it's, you can't keep them out of your eyes, your nose. It's and they've crazy, been saying man. that uh, deer and, and cows are dying from it. From there, they're so That's bad. Crazy. That's crazy. You know, I noticed it is so weird, and I'm coming out of left field here because I'm sure it's completely different in in those areas that are so much closer to the coastal marsh and all that. But man, where I'm at in East Louisiana Parish, it's the lightest mosquito year I've ever. I I've, I was actually so I went. <laughs> it's crazy. So <laughs> I don't I don't mean to kind yeah, of weird, weird flex, yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like I went hunting with um with Michael Pepper opening opening day the first couple of days of the season in North Louisiana and I drove up there on um Wednesday night or Thursday morning and and we hunted in that first day we got out of the golf cart and we were getting ready to go in the woods and the mosquitoes were tearing me up and I'm like what is this. Cause I haven't, I mean, out in my yard shooting bows. I, my, I took my son hunting um, Sunday afternoon, and it it was hot. I mean, it was hot. The the, the yeah. stand we were in had a little bit of sunlight on it, and I didn't even have to turn the thermocell on. I don't know what's going on, but for some reason, y'all got all of them apparently. And or, yeah, or now they, you're just bragging. Yeah, it's just. I mean, yeah. I don't mean to rub salt in the wound or anything, no, but a, I've had to treat my yard already. Um, I mean, we bought some stuff that you hook onto the water hose and and treat the yard. I mean, you you legitimately could not go outside without just getting inundated by, by mosquitoes. Crazy. Well, how, how's your how's your house? What kind of damage did you have? Yeah, so we had uh, we had extensive damage to the uh, to the roof. We we had uh, and no structural damage to like the, uh, the the decking and whatnot, but it was um, you know tons of shingles. It was ripped down to the plywood in multiple spots. We had water, and I think it was four different rooms, uh, you know, leaked down through the the uh, the ceiling and whatnot. I've had to rip out. So I've been uh, doing today. Actually, <laughs> I moved in. Uh, it was right at 5,300 pounds of flooring inside today, so it could acclimate. I mm. did the math. That's that's uh, 110 reps of 50 pounds. Um, so I'm, I'm actually I'm leaning over in the bed right now, holding my phone up to my ear. My arms are jello. <laughs> <laughs> well, but uh, you know, it was uh, water on the floor. You know, we we got a new roof already. Some uh, some repainting where the water came on the walls. It's honestly we were. We were pretty blessed compared to uh, some of our other neighbors. I've got two neighbors within uh, within a hundred yards of me that are, are going to have to have their houses completely bulldozed. Um, so we're, we're we're really fortunate. We're still able to live in our house right now. Goodness, man, I hate to hear that. Well, um, I hope the rebuilding goes fast and you get reimbursed and you'll end up with a a, a better space than you had before, man. I I, I hate that y'all had to go through that. Um, 
Well, I, I do want to say, uh, you know, this is our first time having you on. For some of y'all that may have just discovered Louisiana Bow Hunter or haven't kind of been following since the beginning, Justin is the founder of this whole thing. So y'all can give thanks to him for kind of creating this and having the vision for, for creating the brand and the company and having it be such a, a platform for other people to essentially not have to struggle so hard to become successful with their bow uh, in Louisiana. So, you know, we thank you for that, man. It's good to have you on too. Yeah. I so, appreciate it, man. Uh, we, um, you know, we wanted you to have, wanted to have you on because, like we're saying, we're talking about trail cameras. Um, shortly after, uh, I can't remember what was it, 2016 or 17 that you started working for Spy Point? Seven, 17 yeah, or 18? Let's, I really let's don't see, I'll, yeah, Louisiana Bow Hunter started in 2015, and uh, mm-hmm. I've been, I will have been with Spy Point for three years next year. So it was 2017. Um, okay. I remember. Um, I stepped away from Louisiana bow hunter. It was about two months before I got hired on with spy point because I knew it was coming and, uh, yep. you know, just wanted to, to be able to dedicate full time to that. Um, so I hadn't been working for, um, like two years at that point because of my tree stand accident. And, uh, yep. man, it, it's, it's been a, it, it's been a, you know, a, a, a godsend and a, a crazy chain of events. I started out in sales with spy point. I was the regional sales manager. Um, and then I became what uh, an unfamiliar term to a lot of people, a product owner. Um, it's a it's a development term. Um, I was the one that prioritized tasks for our development team. I was kind of the visionary for new features. Um, I'm, I'm very, uh, very proud of the work um, that I was able to uh, to do to bring the new SpyPoint app um, this year. I worked uh, alongside with uh, with our CEO who started it all. He's been here from from the very beginning. We're 16 years old now. And um, so we, we kind of brought that into fruition. And now um, I'm chief product owner. So I've got two product owners with me, uh, a hardware and a software. And uh, we are really um, in charge of delivering um, new features and advancements and uh, improvements um, to our to our system. So it, it's a fun job, man. It's uh, it changes every day. There's a lot of challenges with the, the rapid growth that we've experienced. Um, yeah. Just to put a number to that, this is a public number, so I don't mind sharing it. We grew 487% since last year. So our, our growth wild, is, uh, we're, we're honestly struggling to keep up with it. And um, one, one thing that we're really focused on right now is uh, getting people answers and the information and the, um, like the frequently asked questions, the self-support that they need without having to, to call or without having to ask their buddies, um, you know, with with that many people um, using one product, there's we'd be arrogant to say that we could uh, that we could talk and give personal um, you know help to every single person. It's something obviously that we would we would love to be able to do, but we just can't. Um, and it's something that we've realized with our massive growth is that we've got to focus on uh, getting these these tips and techniques. Uh, you know, and not only with our cameras, but with with all cameras, especially cellular trail cameras and the the rapid growth. So that's really what I want to help, um, you know, share with, with y'all and the listeners today is, uh, some things that I've learned and, uh, and discovered through building some of these self-help tools that are now available on our website. If you click on, uh, it's live actually as of today. So this is perfect timing. If you go to our, our website and then click on product support, there's a newly formatted self-support page, 
uh, with just, I mean, it, it's a knowledge base. There's a ton of information there. Some of that I'll, I'll share today, but um, a lot of what I want to share too is, you know, techniques that are specific to our state, because as we all know, hunting in Louisiana is, is a lot different than uh, a lot of other places will go. And in more cases, more difficult where things that you can do, you know, in Illinois or Kansas or Kentucky just, just doesn't fly here. Either one, because the deer are going to notice it or because Bubba's going to steal it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I'm, I'm running, I'm running cell cams this year on public land. Um, I don't have lock boxes. I don't have chains tied to them. I'm strictly um, uh, trusting my uh, ninja hiding skills um, <laughs> and, and also my, my ability to hunt where nobody else does or overlook spots. I sound, oh, I sound so dirty even say I feel so cliche saying like, like, oh, it's an overlooked spot. I'm going to hunt it. Um, but I'm running six cell cameras and which is, which is funny because I had like proclaimed this time last year out of just strict, strictly busyness that I wasn't running any cameras at all. And that lasted for like two weeks. I, I, I quickly, I quickly realized that I, I, I confused like this. I, I don't know what I like more seeing deer on camera or putting arrows through them, you know? Yeah. And and so I went this cell cam route this year and have them on public land. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about what are some strategies that you've seen it from across the country and from all your users that work well? What are some things to avoid? So um, as let's start with, with placement. Let's start with, you know, not just public land placement, but just placement for, um, for deer in general. Should we hang them high? Should we put them in eye level? What's the what's the best thing we should be doing? Yes, <laughs> is the answer. Yes, it's 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 a double it's a double edged sword. So there there are multiple different use cases and scenarios for this. So you'll see on our website and on any other um, trail cam manufacturer website, they're going to tell you about waist high. Um, or another rule of thumb is about body level of the game you're after. So in our case, white-tailed deer, it's going to be about waist high on the, the average height man, um, you know, chest high on, on some of our buddies. Um, but, but waist that high. That and... <laughs> No! No! <laughs> hey, man, not at all. <laughs> Uh, but no, wait, waste, um, you know, and I, honestly, I normally go a little bit, a little bit higher than that. Um, f- for one reason alone is because if you go a touch higher, it's less crap that you've got to clear out in front of the camera, you know, so every, every recommendation, there's, there's a, um, there, there's a side note to it. So if you go waist high, you've really got to clear out the grass in front of it. Um, and yeah, I'll take a, a side a side note here and, and explain the way that these uh, passive infrared detection systems work. So they work off of motion, which is detected through heat, which is detected through changes um, in the infrared rays um, going into this detection system. So if you've got, let's say, your camera on a baby pine tree that's going to sway in the wind – you're probably going to get a bunch of blank pictures, which is something nobody likes. If you've got uh, rocks or water or anything else that is detected that is would it emit heat, um, you know, on a really sunny day, and then branches or leaves blowing in front of it, 
you're probably going to get a lot of um, you know false detections. And all of these, um, just just a disclaimer here, all of these um, best practices are, are for every trail camera. I'm, I'm not just going to give you know what's what's best for SpyPoint. This is what's best um, for all cameras. Pretty much, to my knowledge, we're all using the same um, technology that that passive infrared detection system. Um, so so waist high. Uh, making sure that you you don't have anything in the, the field of view that's going to cause false detections. Uh, you want to put it on a sturdy tree or on uh, one of these mounting devices. They, there's a couple different ones. I've uh, leaned towards something called the plot pod here lately because we've got so many small trees uh, in these pine plantations. And now I've got so many trees that are down. I hate having to find the perfect tree to put my trail camera. I want to find the perfect spot. And if you stop relying on trees, you can start putting your trail cameras in the perfect spot, and then you can eliminate all of these other things that are, are going to cause these false detections. Uh, because Jurassic. we all hate, man. I, I've done it a ton where you you get a blank picture or what you think is a blank picture, and you're sitting there zooming in, or you're requesting the HD version. And you're like, where is it? I'm like, oh, it's a freaking bird 30 yards away. Um, so so waist high and, and clearing everything else out. Um, now, going to the public land thing, man, I will always recommend hanging them high on public land and angling them down because people mm -hmm. are going to steal them. Um, now, the, the disclaimer here, the double-edged part of that sword is by angling them down, you are greatly limiting um, the detection range and also the flash range of the camera. So it, it, it depends on what you're going for. You know, if you want to go fast, you buy a sports car. If you want to go off-road, you're going to buy a a four-wheel drive truck. So if you're hanging it on public land and uh, you've got a trail, walk around underneath the trail, right underneath the tree, it's perfectly fine. Hang it high, angle it down. Just know that your detection range stops at the diagonal line from that camera infrared uh, sensor to the ground in front of it. So whether that's 10, 15 feet, you know, your, um, your field of view is going to be greatly limited. Um, something yep. else that we discussed earlier, you know, with on, on public land, um, hiding it is the name of the game. And uh, some, and I also don't remember where I saw this, whether it was a discussion that we had, Kyler, or if it was something on some forums or whatnot. But people are getting rid of those straps. You know, if you'll notice, the the first thing that you see whenever you're walking into your your camera, if if you've got decent camouflage on it, is that dadgum solid, either black or green or gray strap going around the tree. It catches your eye. It, it's it's not natural. It it sticks out as a, a parallel line in nature, which doesn't naturally exist. And what I've yep. seen people start doing is using paracord. You know, it, it's a lot easier to hide. Um, it, it's it's a little more flexible and malleable than a than a nylon strap is. Um, and that's that's something that a lot of us carry in our bow packs, anyways. Just for, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's uh, you know your your pull up cord or whether you wrap it around the you know your stand to silence it or whatnot. It's a it's a great option. Um, yeah, the another option, a great one. Yeah, man, those those straps, you know, are, are really are really visible, especially especially black ones. You know, when you're putting it on on an oak tree or whatnot. Um, that's actually why our camouflage is is gray now. It's it's because it's you know most camouflages either brown or green. And if you look at at oak trees, and we kind of took an average of um, you know trees across north america you know we're obviously we're a, a canadian company so they've got a lot of uh, maples and there's a lot of aspens out west and that's all really light bark uh, so with a lighter color it blends in really well um 
But to mention here, hanging them high, there's another product that I'm freaking in love with. It's called the Spy High Mounting System. It's a little bracket that goes on the bottom of the camera and then has an extension pole. It looks like one of the poles you could get it uh, at Lowe's, like the painter's poles that, that telescopes. Um, yeah. And you can, you can stick this thing in your backpack. It breaks down. It's about maybe two feet long. So you could get two or three poles and literally stick your camera 30 feet in the air without leaving the ground. It's super easy. It's super light. The, uh, the poles made out of aluminum. The, the little brackets are plastic. And, uh, man, it, it's a public land hunter's dream. Um, someone would literally have to scale the tree to go after your camera if they notice it. Um, so that, yeah. that thing's really cool. So well, hanging them, can, hanging them level can... public land and, and high on, on uh, level on private and high on public is, is kind of the, the way to go. And, and with that, with that, you can hang it in trees that aren't climbable. You know, yep. um, you, you can hang it in places that have a lot of limbs below. Cause you know, I, I still think, you know, you know, even the saddles are becoming more popular. Lock-ons are, have always been very popular, but I still, I, mean, I would love to know this percentage. I would love to know the percentage of people that are hunting out of API and summit climbers or lone wolf climbers, because there's a lot of people that every time they go in the woods, they are looking for a telephone pole shaped tree. And if you have one limb 10 feet or below or 12 feet or below, <laughs> Somebody in a, climb, in a climbing stand, which might be, I don't know, let's I say 40 to 50% of all bow hunters possibly are hunting out of a true climbing stand. They can't touch it. They can't get there, you know. Yeah. So um, I well, remember. The cool thing about those, you, you can hang them on uh, parallel limbs also, you know, so you're not oh, yeah. stuck to the trunk with these because they've got a, um, they've got a screw really end on them. It. Yeah, you really can't get them then. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's the perfect opportunity. That's cool, man. I, you know, I, uh, I, I last year I had um, run. I was doing, a, I guess you could say, a, a tester on those um, those Tasco Walmart cameras because I was hunting a very densely hunted piece of public land, and I was like, okay, I can spare twenty eight bucks if if it gets swiped, and I hung it with. I guess we had talked about paracord or something other than straps last year because. I hung that one with, um, I want to say it was like 16 gauge or, or 14 gauge black wire, just like regular old <laughs> electrical wire. And yeah. I, I never went back and got it. I went and got it back. I, I got it at the end of September this year and I had it marked on my phone and I remembered the area and I was looking for it. And I had, after five minutes, I was like, man, it's gone. Somebody got it. And I walked around this tree, and there it was. I was standing <laughs> within 30 feet of it the whole time, and I like I couldn't even find it. And I was looking yeah. for it, you know. Um, so the the paracord trick or wire or something other than that strap is, I think that's a great tip because um, you're right. Anything that is horizontal in the woods is unnatural. It almost yeah. almost everything you see in the woods other than a fallen tree or a fallen log or a deer's back is vertical. Mm-hmm. Um, and that strap gets noticed for the same reason that you see a deer walking through the woods because it's the only thing moving left uh, going from left to right versus up and down. So have um, you um, have you have you spent much time using these uh, these these mounts that it, it you know it screws in the tree? And then it has like a ball joint on the end of it where you can 
you basically screw it into the bottom of the camera in the universal threaded hole, and then you know you can angle it and turn it and all that. You know, now that you know, I don't know if we want to promote that because that would take away from the sales of sticks. You know, because yeah, you're no sticks, longer man. <laughs> it's the second time lock. Now, yeah, you know what? So, um, <laughs> no, that, those are actually fantastic, man, yeah. because you can get you can get the exact angle that you want. You know, okay. having that ball joint on there. Oh yeah. Um, you know, or I, I've got a little one yesterday. I'll actually, I'll, I'll send you all a picture when we're off of here. So I've, the Hurricane gave me great uh, camera mounting options. So I've, I've got two giant oak trees that fell um, in one of my, what would have been a food plot um, had it not. It had four and a half feet of water in it, by the way, after after Delta. We got a ton of rain. But I cut, um, I cut some branches off and I shoved one of those screw-in mounts in the end of that branch. It's probably a eight-inch diameter branch. But I've got the most gorgeous view of this lane now from probably eight feet up angled back. You know, so those those things allow you to to put a camera where you normally couldn't put them because those the yeah. straps you're you're stuck to putting it on the trunk um, or and and putting it parallel unless you shove a stick yeah. behind it. Well, to your other point, I've no, I've been using them and and like for me, I guess it was probably two years ago. I, I ordered, I think HME makes makes the ones that I got. Yeah. And um, I ordered like a six pack of them for twenty mm-hmm. bucks or something like that. It's just the best. It's one of the best purchases I ever made. But to the point y'all were making earlier, um, I've noticed just coming in and out of the woods and checking cameras, it, it the strap thing when, when when they're when they're on those brackets, they disappear. I mean, they just look, yeah. especially the camouflage cameras that blend in with the bark. They just look like a spot on the tree. And if you're not looking at them, there is no break in that you know that horizontal as opposed to vertical lines and and things that catch our eye and and then and to take that even step further if you screw one of those things into a large tree where where there's no you know unless you're at an angle you can't see it it just it just falls right into the bark yeah Yeah. it does well uh one of the things i wanted to ask you about we had discussed uh, man, I, I called you months ago wanting to do this episode with you, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here like my brain's tingling trying to remember all the things that we discussed. But one of them was what can deer see as far as infrared? Does, <laughs> does, does, does low glow versus, you know, regular, regular old, um, you know, no filter LEDs matter? You know, what's, what do y'all, what's the science behind it? What, what, do, what do you see? Yeah. So again, yes, <laughs> this is, Perfect. this is one of those, uh, you know, questions that it's, it's 50, 50, you know, there, there's actually a comeback in, in white flash cameras now. Um, so I'll, I'll give you, I won't give you science. I'll give you personal opinion based off of things that I think any avid bow hunter, um, would agree upon anything unnatural that a mature buck is going to notice in the woods is going to startle him. Um, yep. Whether whether it's a white flash in the wrong spot or um, the the click of an IR filter, um, and I'll explain what those are, <laughs> or a red glow, um, because if you'll notice on a lot of cameras, um, and and ours will do it sometimes too, there will be a really quick just blink, and then the red flash, and what that's doing, that's allowing the lens to adjust to the lighting, um, and then in some cameras you'll hear a click. Um, specifically the very first photo of either during the day or at night, that click is the infrared filter either raising or dropping in front of the camera lens. 
Um, so, yep. so all of these things are obviously going to be unnatural um, to to a mature buck. And you know, it, I, I don't really care what people see on TV, you know, or on Facebook or on Instagram, because we all know that Midwest deer are much less spooky than the bucks that we're hunting here. And my rule of thumb is if I think it's going to spook, you know, the buck of a lifetime, if I've got him in my woods, I'm, I'm going to stick it high to where he's not looking directly at it, whether it's no glow or uh, white flash or not. I don't want it in his line of sight. Um, yep. I lean, I lean towards no glow. Um, same reason I walk in with a red or a green flashlight is because it's, it's much less obvious uh, to the animals, supposedly. Uh, so my 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 rule of thumb there is is the least amount of intrusion possible, and for me that is no glow. And and you're right about you're right about um, uh, the colors or light or whatnot because there's a study that MSU did Mississippi State University did years ago where you know they have a whole deer program they've got pinned deer they run all these controlled tests and all sorts of really really interesting things that they have funding and, and state backing behind to figure out deer more and they ran a study trying to figure out what you know what color does a deer see best and they did it through essentially feeding deer and having the deer um hit uh, i don't know you could call it a, a little stomp pad or something to get either food or a treat or something like that and what they found was that a overwhelmingly high percentage of the times that the deer would react to the light was in was either a white light or a blue light and then green and red was where they reacted to it the fewest and exactly like what you said walking into the woods i'm gonna walk in with a green or a red light do i think that they can see it yes i don't think that it's invisible to them but i think that that color spectrum is not as not as apparent to them as blue or even you know a bright white led could be um and uh so you know and of course it's probably why you see red leds on the no glow or low glows you know um now um we had uh we talked about you know where to place them talked about uh height and for security reasons and height for deer alertness i I remember when I first started running cameras, getting a picture of a deer was great, like uh, the elation that came behind that. And then I started over the years, I started to see this pattern, especially if I was supplemental feeding, I was starting to see this pattern where I would get my most deer and or my biggest deer on the first day or two that the camera was there. And then three, five, seven days later, I was getting very juvenile deer, yearlings, fawns, does bringing fawns to the corn pile, spikes. And um, I, I agree with you a thousand percent that anything unusual like that is going to spook anything that's been walking the woods for more than a year a year or two they know yeah. that that's not normal and and i actually think you'll, you know i don't have any proof behind this but i actually think that they start to skirt that area and avoid it entirely um yeah because and, and that's it's, one it's of the, that spooky the, to them yeah and that's one of the points of proof that i use for that um you know, that theory is that, you know, looking back at new spots, exactly what you said, you, you know, you get a picture of this buck, you're like, awesome. And then you never see him again. And that's one of the, that's one of the hangups that I think, 
um, so many of us fall into is that uh, when we see that one deer and then go two, three, four, six, eight weeks and never see him again, we leave that camera in the same spot. You know, deer are, are creatures of habit. And um, if he walked by that first day and then stopped again or, or, or stopped coming anymore, he's changed his habit. So that camera yep. needs to be moved. Um, You've that, changed that is, his habit. Exactly. He's, he's yeah. absolutely been changed by, by noticing, you, you know, by smelling us or by seeing the camera or both. You know, how many pictures do we get, especially during the daylight? So there's no flash being emitted. There's no click. There's no nothing of that deer frozen, you know, given a death stare at the camera six feet away. He noticed it, saw it. And, you know, if you only get one picture of him, he's obviously changed his pattern because of that camera or because he smelled you and then saw something different. It's like, nope, I'm out. You know, so yeah. that, that's one of the one of the biggest pieces of advice that I give people when they, you know, ask me, you know, what what do you recommend for cameras? Don't be afraid to move them. Don't be afraid to move them a lot. You know, and that's that that goes into the, you know, seeing deer in the summer and then not in the fall. You've got to move your camera. Um, it if you see if you're seeing bucks, you know, at your camera that's in your spot in the summer, I hope you've got cameras somewhere else because those deer are not going to be there come October. You know, I was telling you earlier today, I don't. I had a ton. I think it was like seven different shooters on camera um, this summer, man. I was so excited. And then Hurricane Laura happened. Poof. I have not seen a single – I haven't seen a single mature buck, whether it was a good one or not, since Laura. And uh, mm. a lot of that's because the the woods have been destroyed. But we have a conversation. You know, it's the same thing, I think. You know, I don't know that anyone has ever posed this question. Um, but I'll, I'll pose it here for us today. You know, so a buck – comes into a spot, gets blown out by hunter pressure or uh, dogs or, or whatever. He never comes back to that spot because he associates that spot with, you know, what he experienced that day. And I'm like, what did these deer think, you know, happened that night? We had a 150-mile-an-hour wind. All the freaking <laughs> trees are falling down. They're like, I am never going back to that spot ever. So it's like I but, have no clue where these jokers are now and but, no trees to hang my cameras on. Well, you know, but in that case, it, it, to, to take the, the, the chaos even further, I mean, they can't escape it. It's all around them. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. I think about that a lot. I mean, even aside from a hurricane, obviously a hurricane is a major event that we can that we can kind of – bookmark or whatever but i think about that during hunting season sometimes when i'm i'm laying in bed and there's a bad storm comes through at night and i'm planning to hunt the next day and i'm thinking these deer just went through hell last night yep you know and 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 it it lasted for an hour or two and it was all around them i mean yeah it, it happened where they're bedding it happened where they're feeding and it happened everywhere they tried to escape to so what what the heck, you know? Uh, yeah. And I will say, in addition to that, both both hunting and cameras, I've noticed a pattern that after a major weather event, um, the camera data that I get, as well as the deer that I see from the stand, you see some erratic, irrational, so to speak, based off of what you've been seeing after that. If you'll hunt, if you'll notice, the, you check your cameras – or if you're hunting in in the day or even sometimes two three days after a major major storm like that you'll see deer in places or uh at times that you're not used to and i think personally just just one person's opinion is that deer we all know they are curious very curious animals and i think that they they more or less 
take uh not necessarily inventory but they just kind of the same thing that you do you know when the storm passes you walk outside and make a pass around your yard and take a look at everything you go out to your hunting property and look around and see like you know what all happened here and i wonder sometimes if deer aren't doing the same thing because i've definitely noticed a major and it doesn't necessarily last it's not like a major shift and change for the rest of the season but those days leading after um you liable to take pictures of deer in places and at times you're not used to Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah i had in in one spot that i had i had a, a family of does a uh, family of four does that was that was coming i mean every single day multiple times a day a couple little young bucks and after laura i didn't have a single picture of a deer in that spot for three days and i was getting probably 50 60 pictures a day you know just of them coming in front of the cameras you know i was putting some rice bran out and i had uh, you know just scattered some seed out uh, before and they were just you know th- those does stay there they're there all year long and uh they were they were completely gone for three days afterwards D- to get really sidetracked but whew, we were thinking about turkeys too can you imagine being a turkey on a roost oh my god then- <laughs> thought about that especially when you go hunting other places where the wind is more more like oh of an man issue. god what man. a ride what a ride down to the ground <laughs> jeez man uh, the turkey poor animal. a turkey is right he is he is the only thing or one of the only things that sits right above a shrimp i mean he just everything <laughs> a shrimp yeah everything wants to eat a shrimp man everything everything will eat a shrimp and a turkey is not that much different man. Just, oh my god that's funny i've well, never heard right. that that's hilarious <laughs> that's that is pretty good uh so let's talk about i want to talk about batteries yeah. now we're talking about uh game cam game cams i want to talk about cellular camera um settings if you will okay. and, and 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 also you know there's a lot of people um that are out there possibly listening but in the world that are heavily debating whether they should start using cell cameras and so let's talk about that after the fact but as far as batteries go how important is is a good battery for your regular game camera or your cell your cell camera so i want to cover three things while we discuss this batteries firmware and your sd cards all Perfect. three if if you do those three things the right way before you deploy your camera to the field you will you will save yourself a ton of headache so I had no idea how um, uneven batteries are as far as – I mean, I'm talking the same pack. So since I started this job, I bought a AA battery tester, and you could test – you know, you, you, number one, if you go buy like a 16-pack of, of Dollar General batteries, it's the voltage, and I've, I've gotten just as good um, experience out of those as far as longevity. Um, but the consistency is the word I was looking for in, in batteries in a pack. Almost every single pack of batteries that I've bought, I've had one that was less than 50%. Um, so, hmm. you know, p- people will call and be like, man, you know, something's going on with my camera. I'm like, well, your battery's good? Yeah, they're brand new out of the pack. Did you test them? Well, well no, they're brand new. And, and for a while, I was talking myself out. I was like, people shouldn't have to test batteries. Well, we have to test batteries, man. They are—they're garbage. They're—they're they're mass produced. Um, you know, it's—it's a—it's a game of profit, and uh, <laughs> they want to make as many as possible. And, and batteries are, are no different than anything else coming off an assembly line. Um, you can have one bad battery, and depending on how, um, depending on how they're wired in that casing, one one bad battery could ruin your whole 
your your whole opportunity there if depending on where it is in line so so using good batteries um and when i say good i mean name brand um there's there's a debate you know whether you use lithium or alkaline lithium um will last longer lithium doesn't like cold weather so if you're buying batteries to stick at a camera in illinois and you're planning on leaving it through december lithium may not be the option for you because that first cold snap where it gets you know down to three degrees it could very well kill your batteries um that's where the the 12 volt and, and solar panel or a, a built-in solar panel is, is going to be your best bet the next one is uh your sd cards all sd cards are not created equally so they've got um they're classified by what's called a class which is essentially the right speed um so if you buy a lamborghini you're probably not going to put regular unleaded in it and i'm not saying that anyone's cameras or Lamborghinis by any means, but you, you've got to have the, the hard drive essentially that can match the speed that the processor in that camera needs to write the photos or the, the data associated with those photos. Because when we save a photo on a card and, and many other manufacturers, it's, it's not just that picture being saved. It's the date, it's the location, it's the time, it's the moon phase, all that metadata associated with it takes time to write. And if you've got a class four, a class five, pretty much anything less than a class ten, you're not getting the uh, you're, you're not getting the the value out of that camera, and you're probably going to cause yourself issues. Uh, so class ten SD cards, no matter what brand it is, that's the fastest write speed um, readily available. There's some faster ones for uh, high end photography use, uh, but a class ten is pretty much the industry standard at this point. And then the last one is firmware updates. These cameras, and again, all of them, they're little computers, and they require software updates. Some of them, depending on how long they've been sitting on the shelf, may really yep. need one before you even take it to the woods. Uh, so no matter what camera you get, whether it's ours or, or whoever else, get on their website. Everybody operates pretty much the same. You get on a support, or if you get in the search tab, type in firmware, um, you'll, you'll be able to pull up and compare if you've got the latest firmware. And again, the same thing with other manufacturers. If you don't update that firmware, not only could you be missing out on some bug fixes, um, but a lot of these really big new feature launches require firmware updates. Um, th there's multiple, you know, I've got some competitor cameras <laughs> in the shop that I didn't use last year. I pulled out this year and uh, had I not updated the firmware, I would have missed out, you know, on some other opportunities um, with, with the things that they're using. I, you know, I don't use them for any other reason other than I'm I'm testing them out. Obviously, I've got to got to compare them. A little little disclaimer there after I said that out loud. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, you you've got to have good batteries, and and I really recommend testing them. You can get the little tester that I have is four bucks off Amazon. It's the best four dollars you'll ever spend. Um, or if you just want to get rid of that route completely, we have cameras that are that have built-in solar panels with built-in lithium batteries. You can literally charge it, stick it out, and forget about it. Um, or everybody offers um, a six or a 12-volt battery kit with a, uh, with a plug-in um, solar panel that essentially gives you unlimited battery life. So all, awesome. all three of those things before you even go to the field, and you will save yourself a ton of headache. Well, I, I think part of understanding the importance of a firmware update, regardless of brand, is also having a little bit of 
of, of understanding of, of supply chain and how yeah. supply chain works from, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that when if, if these aren't eggs, this isn't a carton of milk. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't milked on Thursday and you bought it on Saturday because it was delivered to the grocery store on Friday. These things are, are produced. I have no idea where they're produced, but I'm sure that it's done three, six, eight, and possibly nine months in advance of when they actually hit the shelves before a consumer sees it for their first time. So we're talking, I mean, imagine if you have an iPhone or an Android, imagine if you hadn't updated that phone. We don't do that automatically. You know, it does it automatically. But imagine if you hadn't updated it since um, January of 2020, you know, the first of the year. We're in... We're in October now. Imagine if you didn't update your phone in 10 months, it'd be lagged behind. And, you know, I understand not everybody's kind of, and I don't understand firmware that well, but I do understand the importance of being up to date and doing a firmware update um, is, in my opinion, one of the most important things to do with any camera straight out of the box, because you really don't know how long it's been for sale or yep. been in supply chain post-manufacturing. I mean, it could be outdated. And I don't think that that is an unreasonable thing to say about technology because it's 2020. It changes every single day. Imagine yeah. how far behind you get 10 months later, eight months later. Yeah, you our know? firmware team never stops improving it. You know, so you, you could be in a scenario where you, you got a camera that, you know, just came off the line and you purchased it, you know, six weeks after that thing. It's hot off the press. There could very well be a new firmware, you know, if, if a bug was found between then and, and, that, and that's the that's true for anyone. You know, every single cell camera um, will show you in their app what firmware they're running. So you can you can go in and look and see what firmware version you have, and then go to that website and compare. And if it's different, a lot of times they'll show, you know, just like when you update an app on your phone, it'll show what the improvements or the bug fixes were. If it's a you know a, a vital issue or a, a big feature upgrade that you want to take advantage of you know you can pop it on a card and take it out there or some of them will let you do it remote or some of them will let you do it you know from the camera uh, but their firmware updates are, are really important well I appreciate you covering those three things man I, I know we, had, we wanted to cover that on this episode um, and and also just going back to the fact that y'all've got that um, brand new as of today, kind of customer support, you know, frequently asked questions page. Um, people can kind of help self-diagnose some of their issues without having to try and chase somebody down on the phone uh, yeah. to, to figure out, to be told the same thing. Um, now, like I said, I switched to cell cams this year and I'm, I'm, actually, I'm addicted to it. Um, I'm yeah. not going to lie. Like, like I, I get, this like minute little heart rush whenever I get a new picture or something come across. Oh, it's so amazing. <laughs> you, you, you know, so because I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. You know, I remember, you know, my, my grandmother, my grandmother was born, um, in 1923. Okay. And, um, went through the great depression and, and you know, raised in, in that era. And we're, and she was, um, she was born in Smithdale, Mississippi, which is like outside of Macomb, like kind of place where they had a hole in the corner where you would like sweep the floor out uh, and like the chickens would eat the scraps that fell out of the yeah. floor, like underneath the house. And I remember before she passed away, <laughs> I remember asking her, 
uh, I think the iPhone 4 came out, maybe the 6 possibly. And I was like, did you ever think in your lifetime you would see something like this? And she was just blown away by it. But that's how I feel about cell cameras. You mean to tell me that I can have a picture of my Target box come to my phone and I'm eating lunch at Subway? This is awesome. You know? And, um, And so for me... I think just like anybody else, it is really hard to justify the upfront cost. I know cell cam prices are coming down. You know, the market's driving that and demand is increasing, which is, you know, supply and demand is always going to drive prices down as demand increases uh, and our supply increases, excuse me. And, um, but the, the thing to remember is that number one, the purchase price of the camera is even though it's sometimes hard to swallow that is not the most important part the most important justifier of going the cellular route is opportunity cost to me a camera a cell camera is opportunity cost that you can hold in your hand if you set it up properly and you use it to your advantage and you have the right settings and you're not having to change batteries every week and a half from two hours from the house you are quite literally giving you some of your life back. Um, and that, how valuable that is to you, can, that everybody's different. You know, for me right now, I, I, I think it's the best thing I've ever bought in my life. Other people will say, well, I like to check my cameras in person all the time. Well, if you're right down the road from your lease or your property and you can do that, that's no problem. But if your property is out of state four hours away you can't do that all the time and you possibly if you check them too often gonna well. shut down your area shut down your deer movement you're going to kind of blow deer out of there and it, i just i'm in love with them so you know tell us some of the advantages of them that, that, that people tell you about so that's that's exactly what i was gonna, you you nailed it there if someone tells me well I, I like going and checking checking my cameras you know every week or whatever i'm like if you can go check your cameras Every week, you don't have them in the right spot because if, if you're going in every single week and dumping your scent all over the woods and going to your camera, you don't have it in a very good spot. Um, cell, cell cams allow you to put it in that spot that you vow to never go during hunting season. You, know, you can yep. literally put it in, the, in the, the biggest buck in the woods back door and then get the hell out of there and n- never disturb them again. It, it's such a huge advantage. Um, you know, it, it's to you, to the value there, you know, your time is, is value. And then the amount of gas going back and forth, you know, most of us, I'd say on average, probably somewhere between 30 minutes and two hours. You know, if you're wanting to check cameras every weekend, you know, during the summer and, and early fall, that's a lot of time. And that's a lot of gas, you know, the, the majority of, um, the lower end of the price point on cell cams right now are anywhere from 99 to 150 bucks. And, uh, our little micro, which is the number one selling cell camera of all time is, uh, it's 150 and goes on sale for 99 all the time. Um, yep. you know, there, there's a lot of other cameras in that, in that price range. Uh, it's, it's worth its weight in gold, man, to your point, uh, to be able to stay out of those spots, um, and, and to be able to get multiple at that price point and spread them around, um, you know, I, I tell you, that is that is how Carter, uh, my oldest son, was able to kill and be prepared to kill his first deer hunting solo last year. 
is um, he was sitting in a spot and, uh, you know, he was rifle hunting. And uh, I had a camera at the end of the three lanes that he was looking down. And I got a picture of a couple of does, and I texted him. I said, hey, man, there's does at the end of that lane. It's 200 yards away from you. Get ready. <laughs> he was able to get the rifle out of the blind and get ready, and those does walked 40 yards in front of him. You know, Had we not gotten that picture, there's no way he could have gotten that gun out of the blind and, and ready to shoot him. They would have, they would have nailed him. So it's a, it's a huge advantage. Honestly, I think mostly you know, keeping us out of the woods. Um, it's yeah. arguable whether you know your time and gas is more valuable than the opportunity that presents. But um, I think if we if we were able to uh, to benchmark this, that we would see a, a lot more mature deer killed um, with archery equipment since the uh, the introduction of cellular trail cameras, because we're we're in, invading on their their property a lot less um, and in Absolutely. their core areas a lot less. It's a it, it's a huge advantage. You know, and there's well, there's something to that to that price point. You know, I don't know if you want me to to mention at this point or not, but we came out with something this year that's really freaking cool called the Cell Link, um, which it's it's a perfect companion to your twenty eight dollar Tasco. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it's essentially um, it, it's essentially a, a universal cellular adapter for just about any trail camera. There have been a couple. Um, that because of where the uh, the SD card is located, like if it's right next to a hinge on the door, um, I'll be honest with you, it's just not going to work because we've got this this real small cable that's got to come out of the bottom of the camera um, and and make it back up to the to the unit. Um, and if that you know if you if you have to crimp it too hard, um, it, it's not going to transmit. So it's yeah. so I say virt- virtually any. Um, but you you stick there's a cable with an SD card on the end of it. You stick it in the SD card slot on the host camera, run it out the bottom, close the door on the cable. And I, I emphasize run it out the bottom because water doesn't travel up. Um, it's a it's a real malleable cable, so it, it mashes pretty good with the uh, the weather seal in, in most cameras. And I've actually seen some pretty creative videos on YouTube of people taking dremels to their cameras yeah, and whatnot. Yeah, file, filing down that edge. Yeah, man, so they, that... they just they do not want to close that cable in the door for some reason. I, I can promise you I was part of the testing that uh, that is not the first round of, of cable that we went with. It, it got tested thoroughly and then uh, run it up behind the camera. And uh, it, it's 59 bucks for that thing. So even cheaper awesome. than 100 or 150 so for 59 bucks, you can start to take advantage of, you know, the, the additional opportunity that we're talking about. Um, it's, just, it's, it's pretty cool to get something of, of that value at that price pretty much anywhere Absolutely. that you buy sporting goods. Well, you were telling me it, the cell link can do something that other regular cell cameras can't do. They have, an, they have a um, uh, that's not a setting, but they have an attribute that um, is kind of unique to them. What is that? Yeah, so so I'll, I'll start by by saying there's something you'll see like if you go to Trailcam Pro, who's they're they're pretty much um, you know, they they sell uh, cameras on their website and they'll they do this extensive rating, um, so you can kind of look there at what a recovery rate is. But all cell cameras have what's called a recovery rate. It's the time that it takes the photo, <laughs> saves it to the SD card. It's going to put it in a, a transmit file. Uh, when something enters that transmit file. That tells the processor, hey, there's something that I need to send to the server. So it pulls that file out of, um, out of the folder, transmits it to the server, and then recovers. 
from the from the point of the photo to the time it's ready to take another picture is the recovery rate. Every cell cam is sub, uh, subjective to that. So there is a, an opportunity if you've got you know multiple deer running by and you've got your camera set to one picture and it takes a picture. If you've got um, a, a camera that's got a, a minute or two recovery rate, you've got however long that is worth of dead time that it's not taking any pictures. That's not true with the cell length because the camera taking the pictures is just going to sit there and keep popping them off because it's sending the pictures to the cell link card through that SD cable. And while it is transmitting, the camera can keep taking pictures. So if you put one of those setups next to a regular standalone cell camera, you're going to get way more pictures. You know, I've had a guy on my lease ask that. He's like, man, it, it seems like I don't get as many pictures now that we're using cell cam. I was like, it's because you're not. It's because, you know, if you've got it in front of a feeder and you used to have a, just a, a standalone SD card camera, it was popping pictures off per the delay that you had it set to. So if it was instant, it was never stopping. It was just taking pictures. Cell cams are subjective to that recovery um, time. So there, there's a little bit of dead time after each photo taken or after each burst, depending on what you have it set on. So that, that's a really cool advantage of a, a super low-priced product. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. I, I know um, I know Brian Chamberlain has um, um, has a bunch of the, the cellular um, – I'm sorry, the cell link that he's using. And I don't know which camera he's using, but he already had – this is another great benefit to it is that he already had – regular trail cams but he just um repurposed them with the cell link and he he runs yeah. at least in mississippi and gets pictures all day long loves it loves yeah, it that's awesome and i'll just i'll just tell you you know for y'all and the listeners the the two cameras that i know of that it doesn't work on and it's again because of the uh because of the location of the sd card and one of them has since uh, i've seen people say oh i got it working on mine it's one of the reconics i think it's the hyperfire which if you've got a 600 dollars sd card camera why are you buying a $59 cellular <laughs> device in the first place? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but the other one is the, uh, the wild game. Uh, it's like the micro shadow cam or something. It's a little bitty cube one that they came out with last year. It, it's got a, uh, it's got a cover on the back that just really bends that cable. And again, I've seen people say, Oh, it worked on mine. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's not guaranteed for every single camera out there. It does work on most of them though. That's awesome, man. Well, um, man, I, I I think we've run through all the questions that I have as far as, you know, trail cam strategies and things like that. Locke, do you have any other uh, any other questions or anything you want to bring up? No, I, I mean, I, there's a lot of a lot of good information, a lot of things that, I mean, I work, you know, I I spend my my career is in IT, and um, I, I guess. I, it's somewhat I'm used to a lot of this stuff as as it pertains to technology and then and of course the the user interaction with technology I spend most of my days dealing with problems that aren't really technology problems they're user problems and correct I'm, I'm yeah. sure you guys see plenty of that Justin so I don't know what you're talking about yeah no you don't <laughs> um so you know I, I I've being being someone that works in IT, I'm you know a little bit more sensitive to to all these the things that you have to do to take full advantage of technology, and um you know I, I've always been I just I'm curious to your I guess the only thing that 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 I'm going to add to it and and I'm curious to know your uh, response to this or your feedback, and I know you don't have a direct answer, but I I think back 
to a time it's been a number of years ago probably close to 10 years ago before cell cam technology was they may have had them but it wasn't you know it wasn't refined and it certainly wasn't a big thing in the market uh, I had an, an incident one time. I've always kind of debated with myself about what is the issue with how many pictures do I not get? And and so the yeah. story I'll give you is I had a spot one time on a place that I hunted, and it was a really good place where there was a lot of activity. I mean, just kind of paint that picture. It was a, in a river bottom area where there was a lot of deer, a lot of hogs. So, you know, I'm used to checking my cameras on the weekends when I go to the camp and just having thousands of pictures to go through because just anywhere you put them, there was just a lot of a lot of animals. Well, I had this one spot, and, and I had a camera there, and I literally was taking, you know, 1,500, 2,000 pictures a week on, uh, mm-hmm. on this spot. And, and I hunted there one morning, and uh, I had made my mind up that I was going to pull all my cards on Sunday morning after I hunted and then head to the house, you know, it's typical weekend warrior type schedule and uh, i sat in this stand and i had a great morning saw like 18 deer several hogs and um all of these animals passed right by this camera that's right below me looking at this area (laughs) i mean i watched them i watched several groups of does just kind of feed slowly meander right past the camera and i pulled the camera pulled the card anyway and I mean, you know where the story's going, right? I pull the card, no. and there's 2,000 pictures on it, day and night, all throughout the day and night, just every day, like, to, to you know, without the benefit of me having been sitting there all morning, you would think that I hadn't missed a single picture because it's like there's just pictures, just this really good area, and there's just constant activity through there. Well, I go check the, ca- the card, and I, I have zero pictures of any of those animals that I watched walk in front of the camera that morning. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, what is this? And this is a situation where I analyzed this data, right? So I went back and looked at similar mornings. So I said, okay, maybe it just has something to do with the light, the sunrise. No, I had the day before the same exact weather, and I had pictures in the same time frame as the day I was sitting in the stand. So in your opinion... For people that may have experienced that, and they're asking themselves, okay, I, you know, I'm happy with this camera. I'm getting lots of pictures. I think I know what's going on in my hunting spot here. But uh, how many pictures am I missing? And then when they get something like that, that that I guess somewhat proves the point, or at least uh, makes them feel like they're onto something, what do you think are the, the possible culprits of that happening? Man, I'm, I'm so glad you said this, because this was something really important that I think a lot of people don't realize. And honestly, I didn't know until I started learning about camera technology. Um, so so the questions that I would ask you if you just called me up and said, hey, I've got a camera, this is what happened. My first question would be, did you reach your SD card capacity? You said you had 2,000 pictures. That's a lot. The second would be um, try to format that SD card. You'll see all manufacturers now saying, make sure you're formatting the SD card. And sometimes it takes a long format. If they're uh, one corrupt file, you know, one partially loaded photo, can end photo writing on that card until that's fixed. Um, the the last piece that I wanted to make sure uh, to tell people, is, and I said I was going to say this earlier, but it's to describe how that passive infrared works. So there are multiple different zones. Most of them, it's four or five. So there's, uh, if you can envision about a 120 de- degree, uh, you know, field of view coming out, and then five 
triangles uh, divided within it. Motion is detected by more than one, or it, it's triggered that, hey, you need to tell as the sensor, tell the, uh, you know, tell the camera and the processor to take a picture. It needs to see motion in two of those zones. So if you are on a trail where a deer is going to be walking directly at the camera, it is a high probability that it is not going to take a picture because it never leaves that one zone. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like if it's, you know, that that's one thing, and, and I proved it in the backyard. I'll, I'll do, it's ridiculous sometimes. I've got this little setup with four or five cameras, um, and I'll get at the end of my backyard, which is about 80 yards from where I put the cameras, and walk in a direct line towards them, and none of them will take a picture of me. It's because they rely on that heat being detected in multiple zones. The other thing with these infrared sensors is a lot of them have a minimum and a maximum detection range. So if the deer walk right in front of them, I'm talking like less than 10 feet sometimes, um, that could not trigger it. There's also sensitivity settings on a lot of these cameras, low, medium, and high. That's not just a, um, you know, how sensitive big or small object, but it's also the distance from the camera. So there are a lot of factors that play into the reasons that people are having issues with any camera. And, and a lot of it has to do with understanding of the settings and understanding of the technology. So I, I would say w one of those three things is, is the culprit there. Hmm. Interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, a wrap on that deal for me is it's, it's, I've, I've always just kind of ended that debate with myself with, well, you know, technology and, and, and to your point, there's so many factors that play into it. And, yeah. For me in that yeah. deal, I, I've got pictures in that situation just to that story. I got pictures of deer an hour before I got to the stand that morning. I got pictures of myself walking up there to check the card and none of these deer that walked <laughs> in front of it. And so, you know, yeah. I can rule out the SD card. The SD card's not full. The SD card's working. And so, yeah, to your point, um, I do think I think people do also need to realize that technology doesn't have – the cognitive thought process that we humans yeah. do it has you know s settings for lack of a more technical term that it has to abide by and yeah. uh there's just strange things that <laughs> look as an it guy <laughs> i get questions every day about people's computer use and and i'm like i, I, I don't know I just, yeah i, I mean in, in that it. case it just didn't wake up you know <laughs> and like you said it's technology you know it, it's like putting motherboards in our washing machines and, and we wonder why you know the these electronics that are sitting in a a square of metal with uh extreme humidity inside of it burn out we're sticking electronics in places they don't belong and expecting them to work perfectly all the time yeah. you know there, there's going to be unexplained issues because it's it's plastic and metal and solder um you know and and that's it and we're smarter than these cameras so yeah. they they are subject to the uh to the parts within them so well, i think that one of the things that we've touched on in these conversations um that we've had both today and and other things that have been you know when we talk about truck cam this this excitement this endorphin rush that we get from from trail cameras has become such a cultural thing in the deer yeah. hunting community and you know how it goes. I mean, when you get wound up about something, you get much easier irritated and much less tolerant when yeah. it doesn't go your way. And so we have to remember that it's a tool like anything else. And it's it's not the end-all, be-all. And, and to your point, it's, you know, it is uh, – there, there's too many factors 
that can that can play into it. And I just think that you know we we become so addicted to this immediate happens. gratification, immediate gratification, <laughs> yeah. and also for deer hunters. Um, you know, we're all in this, this, the end game is the success for us, right? We, we all want to harvest our, our, our deer or our target buck or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, we just become wrapped up and, and we start to rely too much on other things and less on ourselves. And, and instead of yeah. using a tool as a tool and not an end, a means to an yeah. end. And when we yeah. do that, we, we make poor decisions and we uh become less tolerant and less logical about the decisions that we're making and so uh yeah i don't know i just uh i i i, well, I, I always i always find myself in that conversation you're in deer camp it's like yeah you know well that's great but you know how many pictures i'm not getting i'm like yeah, yeah. well well that's the thing too you know something that we didn't even touch is is people picking where they're going to hunt based off of what photos they get i'm like man that's yeah. That's the last thing I want to do. You know, it, the the pictures that you get from these cameras are, are a very small snapshot of what you're actually going to see from your stand. You know, yep. it, it's a yeah. very it's one piece of a thousand piece puzzle. Mm-hmm. Don't well, don't pick a spot based on whether you're getting pictures or not. You may you may have your camera five feet, you know, from where it needs to be to see a monster walk in there every single day. Yep. You know, you know, another thing about that, and I've said this for a while, and I think this was my hard-headed justification for um, why I stupidly said last year I wasn't going to run cameras. The <laughs> first time that you get a picture of a deer, whether it's, you know, a, a doe that you want to shoot or, or a buck you want to kill, that picture represents the first chance you had at killing him if you were hunting there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and so how – how how much are you going to kick yourself if you don't hunt a stand because you're not getting you know a pattern buck on there and you happen to hunt a different stand and he shows up that morning on camera are you going to be happy that oh I, maybe I can pattern pattern him now and I can come through and he'll come back through tomorrow or tonight but in my experience especially the later end of the season you get unless you're right outside his bedroom or you have him tied to the tree or you you're feeding him you don't really know what that deer is going to do and they're pretty yeah. good at breaking your heart um as far as like thinking you have them have them figured out oh i i, I would say i live by this theory and i you know come from the perspective of of the the type of hunter that is uh i'm you know i'm big into hunting older deer and mature deer that's that's what i like to do and i i live by the theory that whatever the target deer i'm after in terms of mature bucks you know whether it's a humongous buck in the midwest or it's a you know a a big buck for this area or whatever it is if he's old enough and smart enough to be my my mature target buck i am convinced that there is an unknown number, and it changes for every place and every deer. There's an unknown number of times during a deer season, and it's not a very big number no matter how much it changes, that that deer is going to give you the opportunity to kill him. Correct. That's just period. Yep. I don't care how good of a hunter you are. I don't care how much time you commit to it. I don't care what what you use to better your chances as a hunter. The final say is on a mature deer specifically He's only going to mess up so many times. And so a lot of factors play into that, but he's only going to mess up so many times. And so when you're running cameras and that deer makes that mistake 
in the daylight on a camera that's right in front of one of your stands, that's that's strike one. Your odds yep. just got worse. Yeah. And so <laughs> you look at that picture and you get super excited. And I, you know, to not to drag our 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 time out here any longer, but you know, we go back to the deer I killed in Louisiana last year that's been hashed and talked about on this podcast a lot. I killed that deer. Um, a lot of a lot of that had to do with with intel that i had from spy point uh cellular cameras that i were able to put into an area and kind of have some information that led me to hunting on the right day in the right spot and all that kind of thing but the truth of it is i started taking a picture of that deer on like saturday or sunday and i had to wait until wednesday i think it was or tuesday or wednesday i had to wait two or three days to get the weather right to go in there and hunt him and i was on pins and needles because i knew I got his picture several days in a row, and I knew that I was the the clock was ticking. Yep. You know, it, it wasn't like, oh yeah, he's dead now. Whenever I go in there, I got him. I didn't got him figured out. No, what I figured out was my window is just started closing. Yeah. Well, and, well, you know, uh, uh, this is this is one. I'm glad, really glad you said that about finding your window closing and you trying to get in on him on the right conditions. What I've started doing is, um, as I see deer that I want to hunt. Um, or kill shooter bucks or whatever on um, this public land that I'm running my cameras, that camera is in a spot that I can only get to on a certain wind. Like I set it up for a north to northwest wind, or I set it up for a south wind. And um, I will typically, I won't put my camera on the tree that I'm going to hunt, but I will try and have the camera um, facing the way that I would be facing if I were in a stand. Um, And... I will, as I get pictures, if I'm getting a good buck and, and I get some sort of pattern, I will check on my hunt stand app or on the weather for wherever I'm hunting, what is the wind doing that day? Could I hunt that deer when he was at, you know, walking around at 534 in the evening? Could I have come up from the south and hunted him on a north wind? And so I'm like... I know there's apps that do this for you now, and especially with the GPS coordinates, uh, the, sorry, GPS um, features that a lot of these cameras have these days. Some of them will even tell you, hey, um, you got this picture of a buck at 534 on Tuesday afternoon. It was a northwest wind. The pressure is this. The moon phase is that, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm trying to figure out, okay, is that deer only moving on an east wind? Is he only moving on a south wind? Is he moving on any sort of wind pattern whatsoever? Um and uh, that, that's what's been super helpful for me because I just – I don't feel like I'm going in blind anymore. Yeah. I'm going in with some sort of statistical information to use to my advantage for my stand decision-making that day. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think if, if, people will, if people will adopt those sort of theories to their strategy for using trail cameras, in my opinion, and this is what I've done – that's where trail cams have become important to me is is that kind of stuff you know uh, to your point justin if you're if you're just simply waiting on the camera to tell you when and where to hunt um yeah you're 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 probably not only is it is it a very narrow window that you're looking at in order to to make decisions but you're probably missing out on a lot of opportunities and that's yeah and you know you think about let's just say that a large majority of trail camera uses is put on feed sites, right? We put them on corn yep. piles. We put them on food plots. We put them, you know, and, and I don't know about other people, but I would imagine most people could agree with this. If you hunt a, a, a feed area, whether it be a food plot or a feeder site or something like that, I mean, how many times have, have 
you know, those typical young deer, those family groups of does, they pour in there, they feed, they're all in front of the camera, and they and you get lots of pictures of them. And, um, you know, you're getting close to the rut or whatever, and, and those bucks, mature and aging bucks and all that, they skirt around. You know, you might get a chance to see them, but you don't get a shot at them. Those deer don't just pour right in there. So just because you're not getting a picture of that big buck coming to your feeder doesn't mean you can't kill him around that feeder. He may be... 50 yards off that feeder when checking those does or or whatnot so just use it as a tool and not as a it don't try to make it another set of eyes just use it the same way you would um scout for deer sign it's just the same thing it's the 2020 version of going in the woods and finding a fresh set of of tracks or or buck sign in an area that they haven't been there well that's great but you haven't really done anything more to kill the deer because that sign is where the deer used to be not where he's at if you had been there when he made it you could have killed him so you there's there's information to be had but you certainly haven't really done anything to kill the deer so use the information to your advantage and don't it's not going to fall in your lap the camera's not going to kill the deer for you yeah, for the for the sake of, of tactics and a and a challenge for people, you know, because I I know, man, it's uh, it, it's hard not to put a camera facing a feed site, but uh, but something someone challenged me to do. It's been a couple of years ago, and and man, I'll tell you the the results were immediate. That I'll challenge your guys as listener to do is if you've got a camera facing a feeder or facing a, a pile of whatever, you can leave it in that same spot, but turn it the opposite direction and watch the deer that you're missing that aren't going up to that feed site because to your point those big bucks a lot of time are not hitting that feed at least not until after the rut and they're starving and that's only if we get a really hard uh you know winter that's killed most of the browse face it the opposite direction of that feed and watch the bucks that are just getting close you know they're they're not coming in to eat they're coming in to see what does are going in to eat so yeah so flip that yeah. sucker around away from the feed yeah. Yep. Hey, I've, good, I've got the point. perfect way to wrap this episode up. The perfect way. And this is oh, no BS. Mm. No BS. <laughs> I just got two pictures of a shooter buck on my phone that I've never seen before in a camera spot that I moved on Sunday. Send me some coordinates when we get off the phone. Let, let us know if you get a second picture of him. <laughs> he, he's not looking at it. I, the damn thing's two sticks high in the air. It's like 15 feet perfect. in the air. There's no way. Oh, there you go. There. Yeah, awesome. but um, yeah, I, I, no, no kidding. I just got my first. Like, I had a couple does, but I just while we are recording this podcast, I just got my first two pictures of a shooter buck uh, on public land from a camera I just moved. So that's cool. pretty cool. Cool. Uh, All right. I feel well, like just... I should say you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll let you have that. Yeah. All right. Yep. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, man. Thanks for joining us and and sharing this information. I mean, I know you have been uh, exposed to and learned a lot of things that all of us that are running trail cameras could could learn from and sharing that knowledge with us has been uh very helpful i think for a lot of people it's a lot of things that uh get talked about and i think maybe dispelled a few rumors and clarified a few things and that's that's great uh for our community and for what we're trying to do in this podcast is is educate people and so uh that's been a great conversation and and before we wrap up just remind everybody our podcast is presented by relentless boats so go out and check them out relentlessboatsla.com check out some of the dealerships you can visit to pick up a relentless boat and uh, just kind of keep up some big things are coming at the first of the year um going to be some exciting things and and uh just you know happy to to have them um supporting our podcast again this year so uh as we wrap up man y'all uh y'all 
you know, wish you guys the best down there with all that you're dealing with and, and hope that y'all get recovered very quickly and can actually hunt and not just clean up messed up food plots and other <laughs> sorts of things yeah Thank, thanks for well, taking I, the time out to do this man thank you no, it's, it's my pleasure guys I always enjoy always enjoy talking to you guys i've uh shared uh shared the woods with with both of you so uh i, I appreciate y'all it's good to good to hang out yeah man fun. thanks so much guys talk to you next week see ya Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.